You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Tonight, I will be reading from Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here, and uh, Ryan's already given you a little bit of practice, but we're going to do it again. You ready? He is risen. Pretty good. Pretty good, but I think we've got one more in us that's even better than that. Uh, churches, Christians, for the last 2,000 years have been celebrating this day, the high point of the Christian calendar, um, every year. And uh, some call this the Paschal greeting, um, but we, we're just going to call it the resurrection cry tonight, all right? So let's do it one more time. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. One of the things that our family uh, likes to do together, probably should do it much more together, is put puzzles together. Uh, It's one of those little activities that you can start and everybody can participate and it can take a while, right? It can take days sometimes to, to do it. And I know that if, if that's something that you have done, you like to do personally, do with family, friends, you know that there comes a moment at the very end, and this is true with, with kids, where there is typically one or two pieces that are not like in sight anywhere. They're, you're looking at the, the puzzle and there are like two or three pieces that are missing. And what do you feel like when you f- see that? For me, I'm kind of a, you know, a little bit of a perfectionist. I like things to be complete. I feel incomplete. I feel uh, a sense of not being fulfilled. You know, there, there's something that just isn't right. Typically, though, also what will happen is there will be a match search for that missing puzzle piece or pieces. And Lord willing... Lord willing, what we'll see on the floor somewhere are those puzzle pieces and we grab those pieces and bring them up to the table and we put those pieces back into the puzzle to complete the puzzle. And then what is the feeling? 
It is a feeling of elation. It is a feeling of fulfillment. We are complete, right? Our lives are a lot like that. I think of myself, I think about my life up to this point in my 45 years of life, and my life is a lot like a puzzle. So is yours. We are attempting to put pieces together in our life to make sense of our life. And what's amazing to me is that as we do that together, individually and together, we are all searching for the same stuff. No matter where we come from, no matter what part of town we are from, no matter where we were born, none of that matters. What is true is that you and I are searching for many of the same kinds of things. But as we put the pieces of our lives together or attempt to, I wonder if you've ever thought, like, am I looking in the right places for those pieces? I, I ask that of my heart. And if somehow on that search we discovered that we were looking in the wrong places for the pieces, how would we even know where to look to point our hearts in the right direction? Where would we find help to do that? The reality is, is that for you and I this evening, the answer to the question of how do the pieces of the puzzle of my life fit together, it matters to us deeply. And many times the hopelessness that we feel, the frustration that we feel in life, the, the difficulty we experience in our spiritual lives is directly related to answering this question. So what are the pieces? What are the right pieces? And where are the right places to look for those pieces? If you have your Bibles with us, uh, with you tonight, keep them open to Romans 8. The last part of Romans 8, as a church, We've actually been going through the book of Romans since last fall, and in a sense, this concludes that series, but we're actually including this passage in another series that we're concluding tonight called Behold the Lamb, Jesus Our Substitute, and you'll understand why this fits so well uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks in this series. But in the series, Behold the Lamb, what we've been doing is looking at how each part of the story of Jesus are really inseparable parts of a whole that help us to understand God's spiritual rescue of sinners. Two weeks ago, we saw the necessity of what is known as the incarnation of Jesus. It's, it's how we describe what it means for Jesus to come into the culture of man from the culture of heaven, to be born in our time and space. We talked about why that was necessary in order for the story of Jesus to be complete. Then last week we looked at the next piece of the gospel story. We looked at how the sinless life of Jesus is also an essential part of our spiritual rescue story. And tonight we conclude this by talking about a lot of the rest of, of the story. Um, and uh, I want to invite you to really just see one thing tonight as we do that, and here it is. Finding your story in the story of Jesus secures for you 
an eternal union of love. Finding your story in the story of Jesus secures for you an eternal union of love. So, Romans 8, beginning there in verse 31, if you look there, Paul begins uh, this passage by saying this. Let me just read it for us again. He asked this question, what then shall we say to these things? What Paul is doing here at this passage is because of all that he said before, he's wanting to say, okay, all that we've said in the chap- chapter 8 here in Romans, um, we, we need to respond to that. What are we going to say about all the things that I've just said? So we should probably answer that question as briefly as we can here tonight because Paul has said a lot in Romans 8. But here are some of the things that Ro- uh, Paul has said in Romans chapter 8. He has said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, most theologians, commentators believe that that verse, which happens at the very beginning of, of, of Romans 8, is the theme. And what Paul is doing all throughout the, the book of Romans 8 is just talking about the different ways in which there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But then Paul has said this too in this chapter. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life. Paul has also said in Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Paul has said too, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If you've been around the Bible, been around the church for any length of time, all of those passages are ones that you've heard before. Some might call them coffee mug verses. They're going to be things that are very familiar in the, in the Christian world. Romans 8 is filled with the goodness of the gospel, the way in which God moves towards sinners. And that's just some of the highlights. And after saying all of what he has said in the book of Romans 8, chapter of Romans 8, He answers his own question with another question, which is actually a definitive statement in question form. Look what he says. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the answer to the question that, that Paul just asked, what shall we say to all of these glorious things, is this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul says that the cumulative effect of God's favor that he has outlined throughout Romans 8 is no other favor or disfavor matters. No other favor or disfavor matters. Paul begins at a very high level here and says, for the believer, God's love and grace eclipses everything. There is nothing, there is no one who is greater than God. And that is not a promise Uh, of the absence of opposition in your life. Like Paul isn't saying you're not going to suffer. He's not saying that you're not going to experience pain. He's not saying that you're not going to go through hardship and trouble. Rather, his statement here in the form of a question, if God is for us, who can be against us, is a promise regarding the ultimate impotence of that opposition. Now, as we move to verse 32... Paul begins to tell us why 
why this is true by looking really at three things. First, he says this in verse 32. Look there. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. If you move then down to verse 34, Paul continues this thought by saying, Christ Jesus is the one who died. This is what the Christian church remembered a couple of evenings ago. In fact, here in this room, uh, Mercy View had the privilege to have a joint Good Friday service with Memorial Baptist, the church that we uh, are here in tonight. A beautiful time together to remember what Paul is talking about here, that, that Christ Jesus is the one who died. The reason that nothing can come against the Christian that will ultimately undo them is because, is because God was willing to offer his only son for your rescue, for your ransom, for your redemption. And how did he do that? Well, in part... Paul is saying here, he sent Jesus to live the life that you should have lived, the perfect life. And in the living and through the ministry, all that Jesus went through, the end game in this time and space was that Jesus was ultimately sent to die the death that you and I should have died. And two nights ago, we, we talked about how that death was the cruelest of death. It was a death that um, was reserved for the vilest of criminals. Yet Jesus was completely guiltless. It was an absolute miscarriage of justice. Yet that was the plan. Jesus was sent here to die on a cruel cross of crucifixion. Friends, there is no greater or more unimaginable sacrifice than the giving of your own child, especially a child who is innocent and undeserving of death. And because Jesus lived a perfect life, he was guiltless of any crime. His death sentence against him was against one who was blameless. That though, because it was the plan of God, there is no, I, it blows me away, there is no more powerful display of selfless, sovereign love than the cross. There is no more definitive statement about God's love and His being for us than to offer up His only Son, His only begotten Son in our place as our substitute. And because of that, the cross can declare no opposition ultimately for the Christian. Now, if you would look with me back at verse 34 again. After talking about the death of Jesus, Paul moves on to talk about the second why of how nothing can, can, can ever come against the Christian. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. And then Paul says, more than that, who was raised? Friends, that is what we celebrate today. Jesus was raised from the dead. His resurrection certifies, it guarantees that the death of Jesus was to forgive us of our sins and to bring us back to God, to reconcile us back to Him. See, tonight, today, what we are celebrating 
is that there is an empty grave that ultimately means that nothing can come against you that will ultimately overtake you. Not your sin, not even your suffering, nothing. I want you just imagine with me for a moment that you were to go to uh, a store here on Cherry Street in town or, or Brookside, a, a place where you can do some shopping. And you buy an item in a store there and you begin to walk out of that store and you hear someone as you walk out of the store yell, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? Did you buy that? Is that really your stuff? What are you going to do to show that person, that, that employee there, that what you bought was actually paid for. Well, you're going to reach into your bag and you're going to pull out something called a receipt. Happens every time you have to go out of Sam's, right? What will that person say to you when you see when they see that receipt? They're going to say, "That's what I needed to see. It, it shows here that that this was paid for. So you're all right. You're free to go." See, many of you here tonight don't believe that you can ever be free from the sins of your past. Some of you believe that in the face of suffering, some of you are suffering right now, that there is absolutely no hope. But listen, God is saying, look at the empty tomb. He's saying, no, on the cross and through the tomb I have paid the debt and I have given you a receipt. So how do you know that Jesus paid for everything in full? How do you know that Jesus steps into your suffering with you, your trouble with you, so that when you go through it, you have a high priest who can sympathize with you? Because God has given you a guarantee. He's given you a receipt in the powerful raising of his son Jesus from the dead. It's your guarantee that the things that hold you down, the things that feel like a burden, the things that trouble you, that, that have weighed you down, that you can't seem to shake, have been paid for. Again, this doesn't mean that you will not experience opposition, that you will not experience difficulty or suffering. It just means that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you through the Holy Spirit and you can now experience the hope and the peace and the joy among many other things in the midst of that difficulty because the tomb is empty. That is what we make much of today. That's why we celebrate the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. Now if you would look with me again back at verse 34. Paul continues to lay out the whys of, of why there is ultimately no opposition for the Christian, and it's the third reason here. In fact, we're going to see in this particular why that the story of Jesus is a story of ongoing rescue. Let me read it again for us one more time. Look there. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised. And then he says this, who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. What is Paul talking about here all of a sudden? Like he moves from the cross to the resurrection and now he has Jesus 
sitting at the right hand of God. Well, it's inferred, but what he is talking about here is something that is called the ascension of Jesus, which ultimately results in the ongoing intercession of Jesus on our behalf. So what Paul is talking about here is the return of Jesus to the right hand of the Father after his death, after his resurrection. And there is something that Paul is trying to help us see here that that this reality, this truth also is a reason for the no opposition reality that you and I can have as Christians. See, the ascension, Jesus returning back to his heavenly home, to where he dwelt in glorious love from all eternity. He's returning back to that, that community, that perfect community of the Trinity. Jesus is returning home, but this time he's returning with the keys of death in his nail-scarred hand. And the ascension wasn't simply Jesus just going home. It was him being enthroned and him becoming our great high priest. See, Christ's priestly work didn't end at the cross. He did an amazing priestly work on our behalf as our mediator there. But he is continuing to serve in a priestly role for us on our behalf. He now is our intercessor. And in Hebrews, the writer says that it continues to this day in heaven where Christ appears in the presence of God on our behalf. You heard Ryan say earlier, one of the most amazing things about the, the reality of the resurrection is that these truths are true today. And friend, if you're a Christian here tonight, this is true for you. You have Jesus as your intercessor appearing in the presence of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, on your behalf. His entrance back into this heavenly community actually points back to his sacrifice as well because in the book of Hebrews, the writer also says that he entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Friends, this is how, despite being in heaven, Jesus can promise to be with us till the end of the age through the Holy Spirit. And that is why we can truly say that the believer can live with a no opposition reality, that nothing can ultimately overtake us. And this all ushers us to where we're going to close this evening. Look there, if you would, beginning at verse 35. Paul closes out our passage by saying what all of this means, why it matters. And I just want to read this again. I, I think this is one of the most important um, and meaningful passages in all of the Bible that we would do well to memorize, to hide in our hearts. So I just want to encourage you as you hear these words, let them wash over you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then Paul answers his own question there in verse 37. Look there. What does he say? 
No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who's loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation. Paul's just saying, just in case you wondered, nothing will be able to separate you, to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what I want to invite you to see this evening. Finding your story in that story secures for you a never-ending, eternal union of love. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Again, the hope of the Christian is not no suffering. The power of, of no separation here means that the afflictions in your life, even the deepest affliction of sin in your life, cannot match the love of God. The bonds of love between God and His children are so strong and the sovereign purposes of God are so kind that everything, everything can be transformed into mercy. You and I, at the very core of our being, want someone to notice us, to appreciate us, uh, to admire us, to love us, right? Or said another way, the, the fear that accompanies that is, is the fear of being overlooked. It's the fear of being mistreated or neglected or ignored or excluded. And when those desires go unmet or those fears are actualized, you and I will experience pain from that emotionally. There's woundedness, there's sorrow, there's tears, and many times we can define ourselves by how others are responding to us or how we perceive uh, their perception of us. In short, you and I are constantly living for a desire for someone's eyes to be on us. And there are an infinite variety of eyes we're trying to please. For some of us, we cannot get away from the eyes of our parents. We know what they expect, we know what they want from us, and they have either expressed this or we feel we have not been able to give it. Or maybe you feel you have. But in that case, you, you've given them what they want, but maybe you feel that's because you had to. For some of us, it's the other way around. If you have the privilege of having children, um, what our parents think doesn't matter as much as what our children seem to think of us. Like that's what makes all the difference in the world. The worst thing for those in this category is for our children, children to reject us. In some cases, it's the opposite sex. Right? You so desperately want someone of the opposite sex to notice you and to love you. Do anything to get that. 
In some cases, it's a particular field or a job or an opportunity in, in, in the, the work world. It's, it's the eyes of experts in your field that you hope would take notice of your brilliance. In some cases, it's a little group of people that you desperately want to break into. C.S. Lewis called that the inner ring idolatry. In some cases, some of you might be honest and say, all I care about is me, my own eyes, which is your way of saying my own standards, my own rules. Even if you say that, it doesn't help much, though, because you know yourself. You know that you can't live up to your standards unless your standards are just really wonderfully low. There are an infinite number of eyes. Parents, children, peers, the opposite sex, the inner ring, yourself, even the church. And here is what we have all experienced all of, those, all of those eyes have failed to bring us the love that we so desperately desire. They disappoint us. They let us down. It brings us to a place where we ask this question, will I ever experience real love? One of the reasons why the eyes that we so desperately want to notice us disappoint us and bring us to a place of asking that question, I believe is actually a part of God's plan. Here's what I mean. God loves us enough to not let the best thing be something that we neglect or we miss. What we see in the story of Jesus, in his life and in his ministry and in his death, is that he embraced your worst nightmare to not be loved. Jesus got the thing that you're afraid of. He was despised, he was rejected, he emptied himself of his glory, he died. Why? So that you could be filled with his love. So that you could be united with him in love for an eternity. What Jesus did for you and I, if we will accept it, was his way of saying, hey, I want to bring you in on real love, real acceptance, real approval. And why? Because he knows that if you know that, you don't ever have to be afraid about being in love with something horizontally ever again. Now he gives those things to us as gifts. I love my wife, I'm grateful for her. But what Jesus did for us in his life and death and resurrection, saying, you can have the love that you've always wanted, but you have to find it in me. And Paul here in Romans wants us to know that there is not one realm, one power, 
one authority, one creature, anything that can separate you from that love once you have received it. Paul wants us to feel the beautiful weight of a sovereign God who rules over all creation, but who has chosen to love you with a power that is unbreakable. He wants you to know, Paul does here, that the work of redemption in and through Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, his ongoing intersection, intercession is the most powerful reality in all of the entire universe for you to be connected to. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I would urge you to see the power of what coming to faith in Christ means. See, sin causes a separation between us and God. And Paul is showing us here the beauty and the safety for those who have turned from that and put their faith in Jesus. And I want to plead with you to not leave here tonight without getting that settled. The beauty of the gospel, friend, for you is that God can take your sin and make you righteous and connect you with a love that is unbreakable. I want to encourage you to come find me after the the service tonight, Ryan, who you've seen up here, we'd, he'd be honored to talk with you. Pastor John's over here as well. Grab one of us. Let's talk about this together. But here's what this text also means. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you need to be reminded tonight that in every situation in life, in every situation that is difficult that you're walking through, God is for you. Another way we can say that is God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. His bond with you is unbreakable. Maybe you're anticipating some spiritual challenge. Maybe you're going through one right now. And, and, and you need to know, friend, that your battle cry can be, God loves me. He's for me. Friend, there is no successful opposition no eternal condemnation, no separation from his love. So if you are in Christ, you are untouchable. Again, it doesn't mean you're not going to walk through tough things. But what it means is, and what Paul is saying here, is that ultimately nothing can overtake you because Jesus is on your side. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, that very thing, the Lord is on my side, why should I fear man? He's right. And that is because the eternal, sovereign, reigning, and redeeming God is for you. Nothing will ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because what Christ did in his birth, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his ongoing intercession, and one day, the second advent, the second return will come once and for all to show us that nothing ever did separate us from the love of God. Let's pray together.